great Odin's raven. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. This is, uh, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 63. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, today we have a great show lined up. We have two interviews. First, we'll be speaking with director Tony Schaff on his film Hotline, which is our Kickstart Sunday project of the week. Then I had a chance to have a chat with Matthew Buchanan, the creator of Letterbox.com. Oh, yeah. Of course, we'll be talking about some of what we've been watching, including a quick review of The Place Beyond the Pines. We'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, let's jump right into a conversation with Tony Schaff, the director of the upcoming documentary Hotline. Let's just jump right into it, talk about Hotline. Let, why don't you tell us what Hotline is first? Well, Hotline is it's a feature-length documentary film, um, and what we're doing with the film is talking to the callers and workers of a, a huge wide array of hotlines across the country. Um, we've spoken with everything from really serious hotlines like crisis and suicide hotlines to uh, a phone sex hotline that runs out of Portland, Oregon. Um, and what we're doing is we're, we're talking to these these callers and workers and really just trying to get to the heart of what it is that hotlines are and what makes them still relevant in today's society. So I guess my question is, like you kind of allude to in the Kickstarter video, uh, a lot of people, including myself, didn't think that there was really too much of a market for hotlines these days. And I guess that's not really the case. Right. Well, I mean, I think that the the sort of the climate for hotlines has changed quite a bit. Um, back in the day, I think, you know, I think when we're talking with people, we're realizing that the heyday of hotlines are those 900 numbers that we all remember from our youth, uh, you know, 900 call this or, you know, whether it's the phone sex hotlines or the, the psychic hotlines or, you know, He-Man and She-Ra, you know, with their recorded uh, recorded messages. Oh, yeah. Um, but But sort of what you know, sort of what is that people are still in this need to, to communicate with each other. And I, I think I went into the film really thinking that in this day and age when we're so digitally isolated, where we're using our devices to text and to tweet at each other and to like things on Facebook to show our approval, we're not really picking up that phone and having voice-to-voice -voice communication. Um, and these hotlines are an opportunity for people who maybe just want to talk, you know, to, to call someone, even though it's a stranger, to, to have a conversation and to, um, I, you know, there's a lot of different reasons. But I think a lot of it is just that matter of, con of connection. Sometimes, you know, it's about that confession. Um, sometimes it's a matter of allowing yourself to be a different persona, to, to be something else for a minute. Um, the and and also maybe to explore some things that that you couldn't explore with the people closest to you, um, whether it's you know suicidal thoughts or some sort of sexual fantasy. Mm -hmm. So in the film, you talk to the operators of these of these uh, lines as well as some of the the people that call into them. How did you go about finding? 
people that regularly call into these lines? Well, you know, it's, that's definitely been a big challenge for us um, because for the most part, people calling into hotlines are, are sort of seeking that anonymity and they don't want to be revealed of their identities. And we're still in the process. I think on the Kickstarter you see, we're like 80% done with production. Well, my main focus now is to find these callers. So if any of your listeners happen to be callers, regular callers into hotlines, certainly they can contact me and I'd love to talk to them more. Um, we do have, um, there is one person that we, we've spoken with who, it was, it was a little bit of a, an interesting situation. I was looking for... Um, someone who was maybe an expert on suicide hotlines. And he said, you know, there's this woman who called, who actually spoke at the National Convention for Suicidology. And she's a woman, um, a really great woman who we interviewed about her experiences with suicide hotlines um, as, as a caller. And uh, she, she was just very open about it and it was willing to sort of come out and talk about her experiences as a caller um, with with the hopes of allowing other people to feel like they're they are able to talk in their everyday lives about their own suicidal thoughts. Um, so, you know, as far as as far as trying to find other callers, um, it's pretty similar to another one of our characters, Jeff One Lonely Guy. Um, are you guys familiar with Jeff One Lonely Guy? I'm not. Okay. I'm not either. I just found out about him through this. Yeah, it's very so interesting. He is. He's a really interesting guy. He um, he was sort of feeling lonely and isolated, kind of wanted to make some friends in the city and posted a flyer around New York that said, if you want to talk about anything, just call this number and posted this this number, which we've sort of seen as being like a one man hotline. Um, and then he, you know, that picture got taken by someone here in the city. It started. It started getting posted all over the the internet on Reddit or Imager, and then next thing you know, um, he has like eighty thousand calls over the past year. Um, so we're we're sort of looking in that same in that same vein of like, have you ever called a hotline? And then um, I've actually I have a phone number that I've set up that will be the the place for people to call and talk to me. Um, and it's. Um, it's actually, you know, I'll probably end up doing um, the the interviews with the intention of not showing their faces at all, um, mm -hmm. and getting a chance to really explore that anonymity a bit and allow us then to have a, a an interesting visual component to the film. Um, and yeah, so sorry, I feel like I ramble a lot here about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, I guess so. You worked for Miss Cleo. I want to talk about that a little bit because I find that to be incredibly interesting as well. Because we've all heard of Miss Cleo and her psychic hotline. I was wondering if you could tell me about maybe the the atmosphere or what goes into working for that company. Well, yeah, it was really interesting because what, what had happened was my car had broken down when I first moved out to L.A. Um, and I needed to find work that I could do either by jumping on a bus and public transportation isn't the greatest in L.A. Um, mm -hmm. or, or work from home. So I, uh, I went in for an interview at this place and it was, you know, it was sort of what you would expect from a call center, like one of these hotlines. It was a smoky room with probably 30 women sitting at cubicles um, with stacks of tarot cards on their desks. And they were just sort of reading the tarot card and then flipping it over and doing the next one. Um, and 
they didn't really ask me if I was if I was a psychic or anything. I just agreed to do it. They said, "Do you want to work from home or here?" Um, I said, "I want to work from home." <laughs> uh, it didn't seem like the best work environment for me. Um, but so then, yeah, I, I I worked from home for it was it was very brief. I want to say that I worked there for like six to eight weeks, just enough to save up some money to fix my car. Um, I thought it was going to be easy money, but it was actually really difficult. Um, I um, I would dial into my home phone and then I would just wait for a call, and then whenever the phone rang, I would just talk to whoever it was. It was just going to be the you know one random conversation after the other, um, and I you know it would it would be. <clears throat> I would say for the most part, it was like it was probably eighty percent women, and probably eighty percent of those calls were dealing with relationship issues. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I never, I never, I, I knew that I was not a psychic per se, um, but I did have tarot cards that I was reading, and I, I kind of just allowed the conversation to, I, lo- I allowed the tarot cards to be a conversation piece, and we just talked about their lives. Um, a lot of people didn't want to know a very specific answer. It was just a matter of them telling their story. Um, I, th- there were a lot of really hilarious calls for me, um, you know, where it was like, I can't find my keys. Where are my keys? And it was, <laughs> I don't know, you know, it's like that's what I really wish I could have been a psychic because that it probably could have saved some people some time. Um, but there was one call that really stands out for me. And it was a, um, a Gulf War veteran who had, um, he was actually in the hospital, and he said that, he, that there was some sort of chemical agent that was dumped on, on his, his squad, I guess. And he wanted to know if his family would receive the money from the government um, before he died. <laughs> so... It was really an intense call. He was in his hospital bed. We talked for probably a half an hour, and it was really just a matter of him wanting to make sure his family was taken care of and express some of his fear of dying. Um, So it was really intense, but at the same time, I remember that call that we, I mean, we were laughing during the call, and at the same time, you know, I was trying to just make him feel comfortable with this idea of, of his family will be taken care of. Um, yeah, so it was insane, but <laughs> I I uh, I got out of it pretty quick. I mean, my my career path wasn't really going to be in the the telephone hotline industry, um, but my little Volkswagen Jetta got fixed, and I was able to 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 go on to another job. And then you actually interview Miss Cleo for this documentary too, correct? Right, most definitely. We, um, that was one of my big things. I knew that, you know, if I was doing this film that I needed to talk to Miss Cleo, <laughs> you know. She was the person, when I was working the hotline, people would say, I want to talk to Miss Cleo. And I would say, well, you know, I'm so sorry, Miss Cleo's on a book signing tour. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'm Samuel, can I help you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, so we, we, we were able to get a hold of, of Miss Cleo, and it's interesting. Um, she, actually, she actually, before she made the decision to do the, um, to do the interview, she talked to some of my dead ancestors, and, decide, and I guess my dead ancestors, uh, they, they vouched for me. So 
I have to thank them oh. for allowing the interview to happen. Oh, nice. nice. So the it was like her. Was this actually like her creation? The whole the the hotline thing, her psychic hotline. No, it wasn't at all. She she started off just like me. She w- saw an ad in the back of a newspaper. She said, "Oh, you know, I, you know, she she's actually um, I I forget actually the the term that she uses, but she practices voodoo. So she mm-hmm. she's in the she's in that that world already. So she's like, well, you know, I'll, I can do this. I'll I'll take this job on. She was a a single mom and she needed to work from home at, to supplement her income." Um, so she was getting paid, you know, the 14 cents a minute, just like I was. Um, but I, but what had happened was, and what she describes in her interview is that they had found out that she was just a really great telephone psychic. Um, and they decided to have her start doing a live television show. And those are maybe what you might remember too, from the, the, the hotline commercials, uh, it would be live callers calling into her, and then she would, you know, tell them, tell them she'd shoot straight from the hip, basically, and tell them what the deal was. Um, so then she became more of the spokesperson for the company, um, and like she says, it was still as a spokesperson, she was not making tons of money, um, but she was most definitely the face of it, and I think that it probably did make the company a lot of money. Now is this company still around? Um, no, I don't believe so. Uh, it's probably it's probably transferred um, owners a bit, but mm-hmm. the actual the owners that were involved, um, they most definitely did not um, move forward with with the company after all of the lawsuits. Yeah. And uh, I also wanted to mention for the listeners, there is uh, you do have a clip on the Kickstarter page. Uh, from your interview with Miss Cleo, so uh, definitely check that out. Now, I want to talk about the Kickstarter project itself. Uh, so you're looking, you, you said you have 80% production done, so the bulk of this funding is going to be for post-production, right? Right, most definitely. We, um, we're we going to continue to shoot while we start up our edit, which we'll be starting up our edit here in uh, about about three weeks, I suppose. Um, and the the money will be going towards post production, getting us up into a a cut of the film. Um, and for the for everything up until now, we've been self funding all of the production and all of the travel across the country. Um, but now it's time to sit down and actually, you know, weave together these stories and and get a film for people to start watching. Um, so. It's you know it's a pretty modest Kickstarter I would say to to get us through post production but we're raising just what we need to to get to that point um, mm-hmm. and yeah I mean it's been a, it's definitely been a challenge Kickstarter you know I've been supporting Kickstarter projects for years um, and when it was time for me to step up and and do my own um, I realized that it is an awful lot of work to raise mm-hmm. this money oh yeah yeah that's pretty much what we hear from everybody we talk to so. Let's talk about some of the incentives you have for the for the project. What uh, are some maybe highlights that you want to get people in on? Well, you know the the big incentive. Miss Cleo has volunteered her services as uh, as a as a telephone psychic to do a reading for uh, people who may have been fans who never got that chance to talk to her. Um, so at the five hundred dollar level, we have uh, we have one left actually of. Uh, Miss Cleo's readings, 
And, you know, if you don't want to go with the $500 reading, you can call me um, at $250. I will do a psychic reading with you. Um, to, I'm going to dust off my uh, psychic reading skills uh, and, um, and I'll do a reading with you. Um, and, you know, there's obviously, if you, if you want to be an executive producer on the film um, for $5,000, you can be an executive producer. Of course, the, the, there, there are smaller levels. Um, I think that you know one of the most popular ones is, um, is is just getting a copy of the film. I think it's a you know we're we're actually offering people a copy of the film, um, either a digital download or a DVD. Um, and of course, there's thanks on the website, thanks in the credits. Uh, some people like to see their film, their name in the the credits. I know that my grandma always wanted. She's like waiting for the day for my name to be on the big screen. So um, that was that was a big deal. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, there's there's a few other things. The, at the three dollar level, uh, there's uh, you can we'll give you a phone number to call where you can hear. Uh, a hotline from the 80s or 90s, a random hotline. Um, <laughs> you can sort of get a sense of what those were. It's actually It'll actually be cheaper for you than if you had picked up the phone when you were 12. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, those are some of the incentives. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people uh, that go to Kickstarter, they're not, Kickstarter is a, a bit of a marketplace where you're selling goods, but I think really this is a matter of just supporting the project and, and showing that you you know you're behind us and that this film will get made because of you. Absolutely, it's almost like when you when you pledge to uh, PBS or NPR, you get you get a little something there, but it's really it's really about supporting the project. Yeah, most definitely, and it's been overwhelming. Like the the number of people that have supported us, strangers, and you know people I went to high school with that I haven't seen in twenty years. You know, it's just been really it's been really phenomenal. Um, the support and you know the, the stranger who gives me one dollar sometimes just makes my day because it's like yeah you're behind me you get this project you understand and you you are you know you're willing to 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 open up your you know your checkbook for a dollar you know mm-hmm. absolutely uh, well Tony thank you so much the website you have a website set up for this is hotlinedoc.com that's correct hotlinedoc.com um, we're also on and Facebook. Uh, it's uh, Hotline Doc on Facebook um, and Twitter. We're at Hotline Doc. So great. Well, Tony, thanks so much for your time. All right, thank you guys so much. Thank you again, Tony. Make sure you click on the donate link in the show notes or check out the Kickstart Sunday section of FilmPulse.net to show your support. Next, I had the opportunity to speak with Matthew Buchanan, who's the creator of Letterbox.com, which we use every day here at Film Pulse. Yeah, so, unhealthy. <laughs> Extremely yeah. unhealthy. So let's go ahead and give that a listen. Let's let's just start things off maybe by introducing yourself and telling us, uh, for those who don't know, what Letterboxd is. Sure. My name is um, Matthew Buchanan. Uh, Letterboxd was my idea, and it has uh, been created by a small team within a web development studio that I run in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, Letterboxd is, I guess, the, the closest equivalent is uh, that it's something like Goodreads for film. So what Goodreads offers in terms of recommendations of books, reviews of books from your friends, we we searched around uh, in, uh, in 
2010 uh, looking for a for the social equivalent of that for film and we really came up a bit short uh, there's, uh, there were some established players IMDB has some uh, some functionality in that area but um, they hide it under all sorts of uh, of, of other junk and, and really it's um, it, it wasn't up to scratch so I guess we decided that uh, we would we wanted to build it so we went ahead and did that and it took about eight months to get to a first uh, beta and um, we launched at the end of 2011. So was it really kind of just your love of movies that made you decide to start this project? Uh, that was that was part of it, I guess. Um, I the the selfish part of this was that I wanted to get better at writing about film. Uh, obviously, a love of film dating back to uh, to being a small wee fella was uh, was was definitely played into that. And having spent a bit of time on the web, you uh, create. Uh, entities that um if, if you're on the, the creation side of doing things on the web you create stuff that you get attached to and i think we had worked on a lot of client projects that um that but nothing that we felt we could you know have ownership of and that could that could be our thing and uh and so that was a big part of it as well uh, I'm, I'm not sure how well i've done on uh on improving my <laughs> ability to write about film but but we've uh, we've loved um, putting together the site and uh, and seeing how the community has risen around it. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of one of the most endearing qualities of the site is that even uh, back before you opened it to the public, and I want to talk about that in just a minute, but when it was invite-only, the community was still such a, a thriving group of people that you just have these great, uh, n like, intelligent reviews for movies and it, and it really I feel like it really just the community really came around this this website. Thank you. I'm not sure what uh, what the cause of of that was, other than we put our heart into into making what we wanted to use and uh, and hoped that that other like minded cinema goers would uh, and and film lovers would would join in and uh, and come to the party and we were very fortunate that we were able to attract some great writers and some some people that, that think deeply about cinema and uh and a, a lot of the sort of community has grown from there well i think that i think that one of the big things is the aesthetics of the site and that coupled with the functionality i think that it really caters to the the true movie lover and it's just such a good experience to be on the site it's easy to use it looks great and it's got tons of great information and i think that that's really what drew people in initially right well that's uh that's a, a huge compliment and i think we struggled early on with uh with trying to strike that balance between what is um a simple idea but that if you let it run away with itself you it can it, it can get quite complex and there's, there's still a fair bit on there and there's still parts of the site that, that, that we look at and that we, um, and that we, we see as still being a, a little bit complex or a little bit busy and, and it's our continued sort of challenge to, um, to support those uh, members that are, that are suggesting new stuff that we, um, we often get, you know, suggestions from the community about, uh, about uh, options that could make the site better and to, 
to be able to you know execute on on the ones that uh, that that we agree with without um, making the site sort of overly complex is a is a big challenge. But uh, we're um, we're making steady progress. And I think that. Uh, another going back to the aesthetics like it, it's a very clean site and you don't have that many ads and you do have some small ads on there now my question is have you been able to cover the cost to run the site with the ads and the inclusion of the new pro account levels uh let's say that we're um that we're making inroads into covering the hosting costs of the site mm-hmm. uh, uh, the um, the site development we have funded uh, through our studio, and uh, it's uh, as you can probably tell, uh, we've been working on it for for a few years now. So you you, you count up the, the weeks and months that go by, and literally we've put thousands of hours into into the creation of it. And uh, at the size that we are now, um, the the ad revenue and the the pro revenue is um it's a great start but it's certainly not uh at a, at a place where i would say we're um we're, we're anywhere close to a break even but you know we we uh in it for the long run and uh, and we feel that um that that as we build the uh the size of the community that these metrics will um will will start to get better and better mm-hmm. for uh for, for the for the you know, the continued uh financial success of the site yeah, and I'm sure that there's a great amount of community support. Now that the site has gone public, uh, have you noticed any bit changes with the site other than just the sheer number of users? And how many how many members are there right now? Uh, we're uh, coming up to fifty five thousand. Wow! Uh, so it's um it it continues to to uh, I guess grow at a at a um. At a fairly steady rate, um, w- which is great. We, you know, one of our ch- challenges is to is to see how we can sort of start to drive those uh, the the community numbers up, and uh, uh, and you know we're um, we're looking at some avenues of uh, of helping us out there. Uh, in terms of changes from the site since it went live, I think you know one of the things that took us a little bit by surprise was um, was that. Uh, once we did open it up, we went from this dedicated community of uh, film goers and uh, and film lovers who were who were you know beautifully well behaved and uh, and um, to to each other. And I guess we opened up to the public, and it's it's like anywhere you start to um, to see that uh, that negative elements mm-hmm. can creep in there. So we've we've uh, put a lot of effort into. Um, uh, being able to just handle those sort of uh, sort of slightly less savoury elements, and uh, and and so you know, over the last couple of months, we've put uh, measures in place that allow us to um, prevent people from commenting for a certain length of time if they've uh, shown themselves to to be uh, unable to contribute to the mm-hmm. to the cause in a in, in a civil manner. And uh, and and such like. So it, um, I think we're we're very intent on keeping um, Letterboxd a, a, a safe and happy place, and, uh, and and don't really need to deal with that um, a kind of uh, I guess less savoury yeah. uh, attitudes. And that was I think a big concern with a lot of the people that were 
on the site before you opened it up to the public, I think that a lot of us were like, uh, what's going to happen once everybody can join? And wasn't there like shortly after you opened it up there, there was some sort of, uh, something happened involving like a death threat or something like that on the site. Yeah, there was, um, there was a, a a member who had, uh, uh, received, a um a threat via email we, we don't really know much about it and uh and and so I, i'm not really able to to mm-hmm. talk much about it but um uh, it's uh, yeah I, I can't really say what um what the cause of it was it's just i guess with, with any network uh, that 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 grows at a at a decent rate there will be these uh sort of negative influences and in, and in our uh, I guess charter now is to is to help everyone to feel safe and and to feel that they have an avenue where they can report uh, any behaviour that's um that that's against the community policy. One thing that I like is that you can kind of create your own little community. So like for for me personally, I rarely see any of that that stuff because I pretty much just follow my my friends on on the site and. The people whose reviews that I read that I like, you know, and want to see what they're up to. So it's it's like you can kind of you can kind of filter yourself away from that to a certain extent as well. Yeah, we uh, we we believe that um, to be the case as well. And it uh, and I, one of the things that we're doing at, at the moment is trying to improve the way that we surface interesting content so that uh, so that you know joke reviews and and that sort of thing while they may be funny don't always add to the um to the sort of uh more serious side of, of actually wanting to access good film criticism mm-hmm. and uh and, and good film writing so we're uh we, we continue to put a bit of effort into um making that uh experience a little better as well uh now one of the more sought after questions that that we received is uh, you you recently offer um, offered up a pro version and um, was the the higher level was a um, I can't remember, a patron patron version and yeah. everyone wants to know what you have in plans uh, as far as plans to offer uh, the pro members and the patrons in the future. Sure. Um, so we uh, the first thing that we offered to uh, pro account holders was the year in review which was a summary of their previous years worth of uh, uh, activity on letterboxd which is we're obviously which is worth the price right there i must say <laughs> well thank you it was uh, i guess the um, we got towards the end of uh, 2012 and we were thinking how can we this is the first full year of operation of the site uh, how can we kind of Give a give a sort of an overview of uh, of of activity on the site, and so we uh, conceived of this um, uh, sort of infographic style, uh, huge page, and uh, and and came up with various um, metrics that that we felt would be interesting to the community, and uh, and then it was a natural extension of that to to be able to generate uh, a similar page for the the pro account holders, which uh, I think, you know, coupled with the ability to to tag a few of your best of the year lists and, and what have you and have them automatically included on there. I think, you know, we got heaps of great feedback that um, that, that, was, uh, that was very thrilling, particularly to people that had uh, 
close to a year's worth of activity uh, stored on the site. So one of the next uh, items of uh, on the list, on the to-do list, is to do a similar thing for the current, current year in progress. Uh, it's great looking back on last year, but as, uh, as we get further into 2013, uh, it would be nice to, to be able to provide a sort of a, a running, I guess, uh, commentary on, on film watching uh, for the year to date. So that's, uh, that's one of the things that are coming up. I, I don't really want to speculate on the, on the other stuff that we have planned because, you know, pre-announcing uh, uh, features that, that invariably might get delayed right. or, 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 or changed um, may end up upsetting uh, people that, uh, that, that put their... Uh. <laughs> no, I can un- yeah, I can understand that completely. You know what I mean? Yeah, so so that the the current year, like I guess in review, will be available to pro members as well. Uh, yes, yeah, that that's the plan. Uh, we'd um, we we have some some further stuff uh, coming that we're that we're currently developing, and and with each new uh, feature that we that we add. Um, we're generally thinking about its suitability for you know the site as a whole, or, or whether it's um, something that uh, that might we might just roll out for for pro members. You know, one of the other um, much requested features is the ability to filter on the activity feed mm-hmm. and, uh, and to filter that by various types of activity, um, such as uh, only show me reviews or or lists or, or what have you. So. Um, we've done a little bit of prototyping of that, and um, you never know that may end up to be a, a pro feature as well. Uh, we feel that that the way that we're splitting uh, stuff between general site features and pro features are the ones that you know that if you that, that really mark you out as a dedicated user of the site, and that's uh, I guess the 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 importing facilities. You can you can be a tire kicker on Letterboxd and, and give it a go, but if you actually decide that that the site is for you and you want to move stuff from IMDb or, or elsewhere uh, and, and make Letterboxd your sort of uh, the home of your film watching activities, then, um, then you know, mm-hmm. going to a pro, pro account level in order to use the importing facilities makes sense. You're, um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the sort of the thinking behind how we're... Uh, but um, it, by no means does it mean that, that we won't be adding uh, new features to the site that um that aren't available to all members but we make the decision on a case-by-case basis mm-hmm. going back to the, the to the importing do you ever plan on coming up with an export feature where you can maybe export your lists or your uh films to like we actually CSA? have that oh you do we actually have that right now yeah oh it's, I uh, it's I probably it's uh, it's 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 hidden away in uh, in the settings page um the ability to export your Basically, all of your account data, more or less, uh, and it comes down as a zip file full of CSVs. Oh, okay. And the the reason that we made that available is that we we feel really strongly that uh, that our members' data is their own, and uh, there's been too many services uh, that, that exist online that that lock up your data and give you no way of uh, of of getting it back should you want to have a local backup or or, or should you decide to uh, abandon the service in, uh, in favor of, uh, of doing something else. Uh, we, we're really big believers in uh, letting our users 
well, letting our members do what they wish with their data. So we've um, we haven't had that in there since the start, but it has been in there for several months. I oh, see. I, I didn't even realize it was in there. It's it's like I, I would never abandon the site, but I it, but it, <laughs> at the same time I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm spending like literally hours and hours adding all these movies, and I just want to back them up. So I'll, I'll definitely do that now. Great. Now uh, well, we're pleased to uh, to allow you to do that, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, it, uh, you'll find uh, some use for those backups, even if it's just peace of mind. Yeah. Um, one final question: you you made a mobile version of the site not too long ago, and it turned out great. Looks great. Any thoughts on possibly an an app? Absolutely. So one of the things that's been on our radar for, you know, right since the site launched is the, um, the possibility of a public API. And we've always said that, um, that we plan to roll out an API which will enable apps either from ourselves or from third parties. That is still the case. Uh, I suppose that the development of the site uh, as a whole was uh, a little bit more time-consuming and a little bit more difficult than any of us imagined when we set out, uh, and that development of the API has uh, has been bumped um, once or twice in favour of uh, of more urgent um, site development requirements. But it is still um, high on the list, and uh, and we'll make an announcement in due course about an API and and uh, and. Um, with that will come uh, presumably um, the uh, well, obviously the ability for you know ourselves and third parties to to do an app version. You know, it's something that we want, and uh, so we'll um, endeavouring to make it happen as quickly as possible. Great, that I I can't wait for that. That's that's very exciting news. So. Matthew, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, speak with us. Check out letterbox.com, L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D.com. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks again, Matthew. So any of you movie lovers out there, if, you, if you're listening to this show and you haven't checked out Letterboxd yet, do it. Again, that's Letterboxd with a D at the end, dot com. I don't, I don't understand if, if that is indeed possible. If that is no, if, if that if that does happen, if there is someone listening that has not used Letterbox yet, I'd like to know because that's that's perplexing. It. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some of what we've been watching. Now, last week I went to the Sarasota Film Festival, so I think I'm just going to highlight uh, some of the stuff that I saw there because I did see some really great movies. Uh, I saw The Hunt, which is the Mads Mikkelsen, Thomas Vinterberg. Yeah, he's the guy that did uh, the celebration, which I never saw, but I always heard great things about it. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. He's uh, the founding member of Dogma ninety five, along with Andrew. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was uh, they talk a lot about the celebration in the that side by side movie, oh, yeah? the documentary, because that was like one of the earlier movies that was shot on digital. Oh, okay, makes sense. Uh, but. Fantastic movie. I highly recommend checking this out. I think I gave it like an eight and a half in my review. And all these, all the movies that I saw at Sarasota, I have reviews up on the site. Um, it might go up. I gave it an eight and a half, but the longer it sticks with me, I think the the more I like it. Uh, 
but very very <clears throat> powerful film. I highly recommend checking it out. It's it's about a a man who is falsely accused of sexually abusing a child. I think that it's going to be I think it's going to do very well when it comes out here. Uh, and I saw Post Tenebris Lux. I know you were excited about this one. Yes, I was. And I'm pissed off at Beautiful you. Beautiful film. Visually, it's an amazing film. Uh, the, it's kind of an art art <laughs> an art film, so kind of. There's, I think it's I well, think it's, I think both feet are firmly planted in the art house terrain here. It's like broken up into vignettes, sort of, where uh, there there is connections between everything. Although there's there's some things that happen, like periodically they they switch to this like rugby game that's I guess in somewhere in the UK. These kids playing rugby, and I'm not sure where the the connection is with that, but it's uh, definitely not for anybody. This this certainly had the most walkouts out of all the movies I saw there. <laughs> uh, but, I enjoy walkouts for some reason. Uh, yeah, you know, walkouts are. I get I get, I'm entertained by watching people walk out. I don't know why. It depends for me. Like sometimes I think it's funny. Sometimes I get offended for some reason. Really depends. Like for post tenebrous Lux, I didn't mind that. Like I knew. Like these people, they don't know what they're getting into. It was all old people. And they they were just going to a movie. <laughs> and once the uh, the weird sex orgy <laughs> in the bathhouse started, <laughs> some people were were like, "All right, that's enough of that." Orgies? No one told me about orgies. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. So if you're into very visually appealing yet very odd art house films might want to check that one out saw Toeheads. this is directed by shannon plume i think uh she's the the wife of derek cian france this movie is about uh a woman that's having a midlife crisis and shannon plume plays the main character uh derek cian france is in it playing the husband, and then their two kids in real life are the two kids in the movie. So it's got kind of a a realistic feel to it, although it is a completely fictional story. Uh, Very funny. Very, very funny. Uh, One of the interesting things they do in it is you never see her husband's face. It's always obscured by something. So you never really... You get glimpses of it, but you never really see it in focus. Yeah. And that's just supposed to be like him because he's kind of an absentee father slash husband. And that that it just kind of weighs on her even more in addition to the everyday stresses of motherhood. But very, very funny film. Yeah, I've, another, I've never even heard of this. But yeah, I, it's I'm another big. Now. Oh, it, it's really good. You'll like it. It's very, very funny. Uh, then I saw the The Dirties. And I hope to have... Uh, this director, Matthew Johnson, I hope to have him on the show at some point. I, I would like to talk to him. This is a really interesting film. It's kind of a comedy. I would say it's a dark comedy, uh, but it's shot in a found footage style. And it's about uh, two friends that are making a, a movie for school, but they're also making a documentary about making that movie. And the interesting thing is the that Matthew Johnson, who's making the actual movie of the Dirties, also is 
the star of the movie and they all play like all the characters names are actually their names and everything so that also has this kind of realistic documentary feel to it but it's one of these where it's like a movie within a movie within a movie gotcha and essentially it's kind of about these two kids that are obsessed with movies uh and they are making a movie about us a school shooting where these two kids get fed up with um, bullies in their school and they decide to make a movie about sh- like actually killing these bullies. And then it, it kind of turns into a real life scenario, uh, Okay, but it's fantastic. I was so surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. Yes. Yeah, so I'm actually, again, never heard of this, didn't know anything about it. And, I'm extremely interested in this film. Yeah, I think that you'll like it. I mean, it's certainly the best use of the whole found footage thing that like I've ever seen. I mean, yeah, it's I guess it would be considered found footage, but it's almost more like a mockumentary. Yeah. And I the the distinction between those two forms I think is is kind of gray at this point, but I would say it's more of a, a mockumentary. Uh, then I saw No One Lives. I don't really want to talk <laughs> about this too much because it was terrible. Um, uh, the reason that I saw it was that I'm I'm a big fan, or I yeah. used to be a big fan of uh, Kitamara, the Japanese director who did Versus, Azumi, Alive. And then he came over here to the States and he did Midnight Meat Train, which wasn't a big fan of. Uh, I did rewatch it later and it's it's okay but this one is not good it's a wwe film so that should give you some sort of indication it's <laughs> a heads up uh, right there the only thing i really want to say is that again when i saw this screening the there was a lot of old people in the audience like almost all old people and one of the characters in this movie is uh the wwe wrestler brodus clay and he came up, he went on stage before the screening started to introduce the movie. And he's like, Oh, I hope you guys like a lot of blood and guts and violence. And there's this old woman behind me. She just goes, Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) And, and her husband goes, well, we'll just try it. And if you don't like it, we'll just get up and leave. And the whole time I'm thinking it's a movie called no one lives. (laughs) What did you expect? And of course, uh, probably five or ten minutes in, they left. Uh-huh. There were there were a few, but there were a few walkouts in that one as well. Uh-huh. Uh, but the funny thing was where the the guy Brodus Clay, where he decided to sit, was right in like the aisle that people walk by when they leave the theater. <laughs> so it was like you had to walk by him <laughs> to get out of there. Uh-huh. I'm just imagining him like doing death stairs or even stopping yeah. the people. Like, where, where are you going? Where are you going? Where do you think you're going? So you go sit back down. No one leaves it, until uh, the film's over. <laughs> um, I saw Kings of Summer, too, which is... Oh, my God. You're such an asshole. I, I absolutely love this movie. I mean, this is probably going to be one of my top movies of the year. Uh, we do have a interview lined up with the director. Either way, I loved it. And I, it comes out May 31st. Just, you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't go see this movie. I'm going to see it. 
I'm just really yep. hoping that it comes around here. Uh, so heirs of the human body. Uh, we also did a, an interview with the director of this movie. We have that posted on the site as well as the review. I was surprised with this one uh, at how much I liked it. I was thinking that it was going to be kind of an average thriller, science fiction thriller. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be something that I, that I really enjoyed. And it's kind of about genetics and this discovery where the scientists find this way to regenerate human like tissue. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, for instance, they do a, an experiment where they cut a mouse's tail off and the tail grows back. It's hard to describe it without yeah. giving away any kind of spoilers, but this is currently playing on, on demand right now. So I would recommend checking that out and look at, look at the, interview that we did with the director saw manborg <laughs> i just love the way that you said that <laughs> like it's you, you said it like manborg is a classic film that you're finally just now getting around to seeing like you finally did yeah. it finally saw manborg after years now, this is a, a lot more fun than I expected it to be. It's one of these movies where... <laughs> it's one of these movies where it it's kind of like a mock 80s or 90s movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like Hobo with the Shotgun or the FP. One of these kind of parody movies. It's pretty funny. It did kind of overstay its welcome, which is... I mean, the movie's only 75 minutes long, mm. but I was still, like, kind of done with it. Yeah. But I, I generally like movies like this. I haven't seen Father's Day, but I do plan on watching that to see if it's similar. Um, but it was, like, just too... It was, it was just too fake. I think in my Letterboxd review, I said that it, it felt like a modern film that was trying to look like an early 90s film, yeah. if that makes any sense at all. <clears throat> you know, like they, they were trying to make it look old and some of it worked, some of it, but most of it didn't. It still looked like it was shot on a modern digital camera. Mm -hmm. And I think that it probably would have been better if it was shot on film. Probably would have looked more of the time. But it's just kind of a dumb, fun movie. I don't know. Light recommend, I guess. I saw To the Wonder, Terrence Malick. Now, was the new Malick film better than Manborg? I have to know. Uh, yeah, well, it was... It was I, mean, it's, I don't know if you can really compare the two. Well, try. Try your hardest. Well, well Kevin. Manborg. Uh, no, like... I thought that it was okay. To the Wonder was it was okay. It is another movie where the visuals obviously take precedence. They're leaps and bounds above um, most movies, <clears throat> but at the same time, the the story, the structuring of this movie, <clears throat> it was just sort of directionless. Like the you didn't care about the characters, and for I felt like a movie that was all about love, I felt that it was almost completely emotionless. Mm, that's not good. 
and that that really became problematic because you know it's it's a movie that really only has it has four characters but it sticks with you know two of them more than the other two yeah and it just you just don't give a shit about these people like ben affleck's a douche in it and it's hard to latch on to them yeah i think i I mean i haven't seen to the wonder yet but judging from the trailer which is when i watch the trailer you pretty much know what you're getting with Malik, and I'm to the point now where Malik's not a good director. Like, it's just the cinematographer. Let's just be right. honest that the cinematographer is amazing. Everything else is terrible. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I want to say with this movie. It looks great, but see, the thing is, it it's just the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And it's like, how much of this can I take? Sure, it looks amazing. The, the last scene looked amazing, too. Three scenes before that looked amazing. But it's all, in this movie, it's all the same with these lingering camera shots of them just doing nothing. Just standing around doing nothing. Yay. Or running in circles. Or playing with grass or something. <laughs> and it's like, how much of this... You're making this film seem like a thrill ride. <laughs> Well, it is dry. I mean, it's it's a dry, kind of boring movie. I I'm thinking that like they probably talk to each other in little bits, like poetic little bits here and there, and it's Barely, like yeah. 55 minutes of wheat flowing in the wind. Yeah, like, correct. A, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it. There's almost no dialogue at all. Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck has nearly zero lines in this movie and most of it is um done through through uh voiceover what malik doing voiceover yeah so there's almost no there's almost no actual dialogue it's more of like these kind of poetic little bits of voiceover yeah with um what's her name olga krilenko yeah yeah and i mean Performance-wise, everybody was fine. <laughs> like how you ask me. <laughs> Is that how you say? I don't know if you. I didn't know if you heard yeah. her name spoken before, but we're the two worst people at this. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, then the only other one I saw is Place Beyond the Pines, but we'll come back to that. I'll jump into that one then. Hey, what do you got? Well, I got okay. Well, rewatched uh, Twenty One Jump Street because I've been dying for comedy. And it was still funny. It was great. Loved it. Um, and then I followed it up with Pale Flower, which is a <clears throat> like a Japanese new wave film from uh, director Mashihiro Shinoda, who I saw an earlier film of his called Killers on Parade, which was just like oddball comedy. It was like, it's about a group of assassins and they're just ridiculous and it has like a comic book feel to it so going into this pale flower i'm thinking it's gonna have that same sort of vibe but this is like the complete opposite this is just nihilism just pure nihilism uh it's like a nihilist noir almost well not almost just full on there is there's like no comedy in this and this guy is just stoic and the only happiness that he gets in life is from killing people, right? Mm-hmm. So, and he gets, I mean, he gets, you believe it, because he gets really happy when he's talking about it. And 
I mean, it drags here and there, and it's pretty slow going, pretty much the entire film until the end. He's he, you know, it starts out with he gets out of prison. He served thirty three years for murder. Are you serious? Apparently, in Japan, <laughs> they're okay with killing people. So, and then he's part of the yakuza. So later on down the road, he's tasked with another hit. He's got to kill another guy. And the way Shinoda films this scene is just amazing. It's just a full player opera song. I don't know. I don't know how you. I guess opera song. How do you describe an opera? Like a piece from an opera. Operatic. Operatic song. Something. An area. Or whatever the hell they're called. And it is just amazing. It's so beautiful the way it's done. And to the point where the film is a must-see just to see that scene. Hmm. And I definitely going to need to check out a lot more of his stuff. Because becoming a fan here of Shinoda. And then I watched, for some reason, Dark Shadows. I was going to ask you about this. What what possessed you to watch this movie? Uh, my wife wanted to see it. And I was like, okay, I'll watch it with you. Eh, it was... Uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know... Cause I've never seen the TV show. And I know that this was like a UK soap opera from... It was it like the 60s or the 70s, something like that? Uh... Yeah, I think it was seventies, maybe. I think so. I mean, I have no basis here. To me, Tim Burton, he could have made like a spot-on remake, and this thing is, you know, amazing. So I don't know. It's I don't think it's really his fault. I think it's just I don't like the original idea of this or anything about it because he might have like the tone and the look of it might all be spot-on. So he might have done a great job, and I just don't like it. No, it's completely different. Is it? I've seen the show. I mean, there he puts in elements that are the same, like the locations and the names, and the look of Johnny Depp is somewhat similar to the original, but a lot of the stuff is just he added in and made his own. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm pretty much done with Burton, even though I enjoyed Frankenweenie. It's just... I, I don't like his look. I don't like anything he really does. It's just that... I don't know. And that Johnny Depp... I'm just sick and tired of Johnny Depp playing the same damn character all the time. The eccentric weirdo. Hmm. Just every film, it's just a slight variation of that character just over and over again. And honestly, when Johnny Depp does like a normal, like modern day role where he just plays a man, it's terrible. He's terrible at it. This is the only character he can play. And he's, and it's wearing out its welcome very quickly. And then Chloe Grace Moritz was just abysmal in this film, I thought. But then again, I don't know if like in the show did they? It's a, you know it's a soap opera, so maybe they're overacting because you know that's what they did on the show. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I I like her a lot, but I didn't think she was good in this either. No, she was she was awful, and I really didn't understand why she's in the film. The character like does almost nothing. Throughout the entire no, film, and then there's like a, a twist at the end, and you're like, "What?" I thought that was horrendous. <laughs> and then I laughed. Yeah, I and they laughed. Don't, they don't even do anything with it. Yeah, exactly. She just gets the shit kicked out of her, and then it's over. So what the? Why, what was the point of that? It was just that was awful. I don't recommend that at all, ever. And then I watched Trance. 
Did you get a chance to watch Trance yet? New Danny No, Glow I didn't film? see Trance. No, I didn't. Well, I mean, there's there's worse ways that you could spend your time. But again, I'm getting sick and tired of Danny Boyle's um, his look and his feel to his films, and you know, the choices that he makes, the stylistic choices in his films are just uh, they're so tiring. And it's yeah, we we talked about this on Letterboxd, <laughs> and I think that it's since Slumdog that that's been happening. Yeah, and the, the problem is is here what he does is just like every film it seems like okay this film i had three tilted camera angle shots so the next film i'm going to do like six or seven and then like the next film i'm going to do like 12 of those shots he's just it's just like multiplying but he's not changing anything he's not mixing it up or doing anything different he's just adding and it's just like the the first half of the film there's it felt like there was 30 of those tilted camera shots and it's doing nothing like it's not doing like an action sequence or anything it's just like people walking to their car <laughs> to an angle shot it's like why why are you doing this and i hate that um where he uses that slow frame rate on that like raw digital film mm-hmm. yeah he adds that into the film like again just multiplies it and, you know the last film might have been shown twice this film it's shown like five times and it's just i don't i don't get it it's just awful. And then he breaks the fourth wall for no fucking reason. There's no point to it. There's just a shot of like James McAvoy just staring at you. It's like, why the fuck is this happening? Why is McAvoy looking at me? Mm. I'm still going to check it out. And then and then near the end of the film, like it's a decent script. It's not amazing or anything. It's, it's your standard thriller type. And I hate at the end where he essentially takes your hand and just walks you through it everything and just shows you all the scenes again and just sort of lays it all out on the table for you and i hate when directors do that because it's like you it, it's insulting really it's like you don't think i can figure it out boil and then like there's a very pivotal scene and you already know this because they've shown it like four times and you picked it up on the first go around and then they're bringing it up again while he's walking you through everything and they show it in like super slow motion and it's like, are you kidding me? I know, Boyle. I get it. <laughs> I'm not an idiot. It's just it's sad all around. But like I said, it's worse ways to spend your time. Then I watched uh, Ken Loach's new film, The Angel Share, which I have a review up on the website for. And this was just bizarre. Like, I, I heard good things when it played at the festivals and stuff. So I was, and it's Ken Loach, you know, the guy that directed Kaz and stuff. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is this is going to be a good film. And it starts off that way. It's like really serious, and it's about this guy trying to get his life back together and trying to break away from his past, like his, his hooliganism. And then just like midway point, just boom, it becomes this like farce, this comical, like we had to do one last criminal job and we're, our lives are set. And instead of, you know, stealing jewels or like artwork or you know robbing a bank or anything here they're stealing this like old vintage whiskey that was just discovered it's just hundreds of years old and it becomes that and it's exactly like any film you've ever seen with that plot line (laughs) it's i mean it's just one cliche after another and it's like what what the fuck happened and it's it's really bizarre because you have this seriousness 
from the beginning of the film, and you're like, what the hell happened? There, he, he, he's supposed to go to jail because he beat the shit out of the guy. I mean, almost killed him, okay? And for some reason, him being a father, they're like, huh, we'll let you go. So he gets, like, community service. So there's a scene before this shift happens where he's, he has to sit down and face the guy that he beat the shit out of with his family. And he, like, you know, he essentially tells the story back to him. Him and his, you know, his girlfriend that's just had a kid. And it's, like, emotional. Like, he, he didn't just beat this guy up. I mean, he wrecked him. He broke his face. Like, the guy can't see out of his right eye because he broke his face. And then all of a sudden it just turns into this, ah, we're stealing whiskey. Yay. It's like, what the fuck happened? And it's just, like I said, one cliche after another. You've seen this movie a hundred times already. It's a huge disappointment. So confusing. So that's a no recommend whatsoever. Do not watch that. Stay away. And then I watched uh, The Sporting Life, which is a British film from the, from 63. supposed to be a classic, but, uh, Rugby, rugby player, and uh, this was pretty damn good. And the weird thing is, is I'm watching it, and Richard Harris, um, he's a, the main character of the film. And I'm like, he looks a lot like Jared Harris, who plays, you know, Lane Price from Mad Men. I mean, they they both have that whole where their mouth is slightly open and they sort of shift their lower jaw, mm-hmm. like before they say anything. I'm like, man, they are exactly the same. That's weird. Not realizing that I'm saying Richard Harris looks like Jared Harris. <laughs> And then, like, 20 minutes later, I'm like, ah, oh, maybe they're father and son. And I felt like the biggest fucking idiot in the world. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I just couldn't couldn't figure it out. So maybe so maybe Boyle is correct in thinking that he has to walk me through his movie. Because I, even... <laughs> I can't even figure out the two people are related when they look exactly the same have the same name, and have the same mannerisms. some reason, it still takes me half an hour. But th- this film is uh, a little bit uh, a little bit too long. Um, it meanders for a bit here and there. But all the, the scenes involving Richard Harris and Rachel Roberts are amazing. Of them fighting, there's, <clears throat> it's more brutal than any of the, the rugby shots that are in the film. And there's a lot of that which seems to drag it down a little bit. A lot of um, just extended scenes of him playing rugby, which seemed unnecessary after a while. But it's definitely, definitely a highly recommend. Definitely check out this film, and especially Richard Harris. He does an amazing job in this film, and I'm surprised that I've never heard of him. Well, he was in Unforgiven. He was in a couple of the Harry Potter movies. He's been around. Mm-hmm. I have never seen any of those. Yeah, he did. Gladiator. He, he did an amazing job in this film. It's really good. I mean, their their fights are brutal. Like he says, "I love you," and she spits in his face. Ooh, just spits in his face. Face spit. They they do not like each other. It's a complicated relationship. Sounds it. And then I watched. Uh, we'll talk about Place Beyond the Pines. And I also last night I watched Atonement, that uh, Joe Wright film. I never had any interest in that. It was it was interesting visually. looked It looked great, and I like I like some how he fits in like these experimental things that he does, and they work. One of them is an extended one shot of them, like a um, James McAvoy and two of his 
as uh, comrades, I guess, whatever you want to call them, during the war. And they're trudging through, and they finally end up on the beach, and there's all these soldiers there and wrecked ships and all this stuff going on. And it's just one shot of them, like, walking through everything. And it's amazing, and it's done perfectly. But the actual story of this is, and I can't pronounce her name. I have no idea how to pronounce her name. Sorsa Ronan? Yeah. Her character in this film has to be the biggest piece of shit ever. And for anyone that's ever seen this film, they know what I'm talking about. She is the biggest piece of shit ever. Her character is just awful. She, uh, she doesn't she accuse somebody of of uh, like rape? Yes, or something? she accuses McAvoy of rape, and he goes to prison. And then of course he he gets out of prison by joining the army and going into the war. And it follows her story too. It's, it's, she's writing. She, it shows at the end that she written this book called Atonement, and it's sort of what you've been watching. But here she changes everything, and that's like the twist. She changes everything wow. in her book. Which makes him look even more of an asshole. <laughs> and I just, I, I hated her character so much. She's just an awful, awful person. I've never wanted to punch a 13-year-old girl before so much in my life than in the beginning of this film. So kudos to her. She did a really good job of being a shit. I like her. I think she's talented. I like her too. She did a great job in this film. But her character is an awful, awful person. So that's like a light recommend. It wasn't too bad. I was like, I was pleasantly surprised by that film. And that's it. All right. Let's go ahead and talk about The Place Beyond the Pines. This opened in select cities, I think, last weekend and opened up wider this weekend. Written and directed by Derek France. Pretty sure I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not, though. <laughs> Never. Uh, it stars Ryan Gosling, Ava Mendez, uh, Bradley Cooper, Ben Mendelsohn, Ray Liotta. Uh, Ray Liotta, yeah, he he's in it. Rose Byrne, uh, right? Rose Byrne, yeah. Nice cast. Uh, also, um, I think his last name is Dehan. Oh, Dane Dehan. Dane Dehan. Alan Town. Yeah. Alan Town's own Dane Dehan. I like him. I like him. I enjoy him too. Uh, and Emery Cohen, who you might remember from if you saw Four. Did you watch Four? You remember that film? Sounds familiar. From the Independent Spirit Awards. With the guy from Oh, uh, the Wire. yes, I did see that. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. He's one of the main characters yeah. in that film. And man, he plays an asshole in this film. Plays Beyond the Pines. I hated his character so much. I didn't even recognize him, actually, now that you mentioned uh, exactly. it. Exactly. I didn't either. Because I like, kept thinking to myself, I'm like, that guy looks familiar. I know him from something. But it turned out to be four. I was thinking something completely different. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well... Anyway, this uh, let me read the synopsis here. A motorcycle stunt rider turns to robbing banks as a way to provide for his lover and their newborn child. A decision that puts him on a collision course with an ambitious rookie cop navigating a department ruled by a corrupt detective. That is a terrible synopsis. It is a terrible synopsis. Really what this is about is... It's sort of three separate chapters. It's a story that it all goes together. It's all linked, but it's told in three specific acts. And I think that we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Uh, I think that the, the issue with this movie comes due to the fact that the first act is so strong. And I mean, it, it, it comes right out of the gate. Like the opening titles all were awesome. I thought everything about the first 
part of it was good. And then it just slowly started um, not falling apart, but just kind of getting dull. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the end, I was you just, you, almost completely. You don't care anymore. Yeah, I was completely tuned out by the end. I'm, do- I'm, do- Even I'm though, doing a Ryan move where I keep checking my watch, like how much time I got left here. Yeah, uh, even though I I don't want it to sound like I didn't wasn't into the performances of that final act with Dane DeHaan, but I just was not that into it by that point. No, and this I look at this movie as sort of a it's essentially a trilogy where you know everyone's in love with trilogies nowadays. Every goddamn film has to be a trilogy. So Science essentially takes that idea makes them a little bit shorter, and then jams them all into one film. That's really how you need to look at this. And it's just sort of when the first act is over, the end of that story, it it just jumps to another character. And then for the second act, you go through his story, and then it jumps to another character. And with them doing that, I feel as though, even though this movie is like 140 minutes long, there is little to no character development. Like, I'd read... They don't spend any time making me care about any of these characters, which is essentially the whole point of this film is they're trying to it's trying to be this emotional film. And it just it fails completely because I don't connect with any of them. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's interesting because even though I did like some of the characters, they each had their flaws. And I think that that. With Bradley Cooper's character, I never really knew kind of where he stood. You would believe that he's like this good kind of stand-up cop, you know, this righteous cop. But then he would do something that's kind of shady, and then he'd kind of try to redeem himself. And then it always just seemed like he was kind of a conflicted character. I thought that a lot of the female roles in this movie were pretty underdeveloped. Oh, yeah. Like Rose Byrne didn't. Yeah. I mean, she got nothing in this film. Yeah, and and you always knew that there was some sort of tension happening between the two of them, but you never really knew what was going on with that. But overall, I I would say it just it did feel overly long, and I think that part of that is due to the the fact that it's structured the way it is. And I don't know, maybe it would have been better if they did things kind of in reverse order and put Gosling's part at the end. Yes, it's something, something, and. The other thing about it that essentially makes it uh, makes it lose interest so much is as the story goes on, you you realize that everything fits together so nicely. Like everything is forced together. There's no really surprises, and then it comes a bit predictable. Like you pretty much know what the hell's going to happen in the third act. You know exactly how it's going to play out. Yeah, I think it's really disappointing. Yeah, everything was was such a nice little tight package. I mean, like there were there were certain things that happened in the third act where you're just like, "Well, that's that's kind of a crazy coincidence. Why do these two people become best friends all of a sudden out of, yeah. you know, everyone every everyone and, in the world." And then this whole in school, he's like, "I'm going to hang out with this guy." And I think that there were things like that that really kind of detracted for me at least. But overall, I mean, I'm not going to say that I disliked the movie. I I did enjoy it for the most part. I just feel like it could have been cleaned up and and <clears throat> just a tighter story made out of yeah, it. Yeah, and I don't know. 
I, I mean, I'm completely speculating here, but I don't know. It sort of felt like <clears throat> the studio had too much input into this film. You know what I mean? It just, everything was so nice and wrapped up with a little tiny bow. Just everything fit um, so perfectly together. Is With all the interviews yeah. that I've been watching and, and stuff that I've been reading about this movie, I don't think that, <clears throat> that was the case. Uh, because I heard that he actually finished this script before working on Blue Valentine. So he's been kind of sitting on this script for a while. Mm. And he had always, he said that from the beginning, he wanted to do it like how he did with the three stories that were completely separate from each other. Yeah. Not like interwoven, like what we see with movies like Crash, for instance. Yeah. Which I'm on. I'm also getting, I'm tired of that interwoven yeah oh my god that's been done to death so i'm happy that he didn't do that he sort of did it in a different way i have to say like i i like the premise i like the idea it's an interesting concept of what he's doing it just it wasn't compelling in any way to me i mean there was enjoyable aspects i love like the camera work um especially the like the music is great as well which is mike Patton, the lead singer of faith no more he does an amazing job of the music in this film. And especially the shot of Goslin's character riding his motorbike down the like the winding hill through the woods and how they have the camera following, but like essentially on a crane looking down on him and then replicating that shot with his son at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. That to me was just amazing. Yeah. So I think in the end, I'm gonna say I I feel like it was pretty average it didn't blow me away but i would still give it a light recommend where do you think you would be sitting on it i would i would say recommend i mean it was a huge disappointment for me because remember back when we were talking about our anticipated films i essentially said based off of the trailer that this movie looks like it's going to be my favorite movie of the year and i'm a huge fan of Derek st france and really excited it's just huge letdown there's still, like I said, a lot of enjoyable aspects to it. And one of them being Ben Mendelsohn. That guy is, that guy's killing it left and right in every film he's in. Yeah, he he's is unbelievable. fantastic. And he is amazing in this film. Just completely steals the film. The be- uh, easily the most enjoyable portion. Uh, Ray Liotta I'm getting sick and tired of is a corrupt cop. It's the only <laughs> damn character he plays. And another... A pretty strong showing from Bradley Cooper. He's he's slowly winning me over. Performance-wise, I thought everybody did did pretty a decent (laughs) job. I mean, obviously, like you said, Ray Liotta doesn't. I mean, that's kind of his thing. That's Ray Liotta, man. Which is fine. He did. He does it. He does a good job at it. I mean, that's his thing. So, and like we were discussing earlier before recording, is I got to mention Gosling just keeps he's playing that same character. He's playing that drive character, and I'm hoping this break does him a good, does him some good, and he sort of, you know, stretches out his acting chops a little bit here because he keeps playing the same character, and it's getting a little tiresome. Yeah, but I mean, I think that he, I think that he has the ability to do. He does. That, I know. I, I don't want but... to see him do other things because this whole drive character is, it's gonna wear out its welcome, because he looks like he's yeah. playing that exact same character, and only God forgives. It's just like that's him now. It depends. I mean, if the movie's good enough, I could probably deal with it. But I have to say that when he screams during his bank rap, <laughs> <he's>... 
please, if if you haven't seen the film, just pay very close attention when he's robbing banks. It is hilarious. It's, it sounds like a fourteen year old. Yeah, it's so bizarre because he plays such a like a badass tough character, and then when he opens his mouth and tries to scream, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh please adam do this when this film comes out try and get audio clips of that because i want that to be something we're gonna make that something oh when this yeah when this comes out on dvd we'll do something love it well there you have it place beyond the pines we do have a review ernie reviewed i think it was ernie right he reviewed it um back when it came out a couple weeks ago so you can go to the site and check check out his thoughts Let's move on and do some predictions. Next week, Pain and Gain, Michael Bay. Pain and Gain? This actually looks I'm slightly actually, funny. Yeah, I mean, I think that it could be, I think it could be funny. Um, I have to say, I, I I love anytime Wahlberg is in a comedy. Oh, yeah. To yeah, me, me he's just, he's absolutely hilarious. So what are you thinking on Pain and Gain? Pain and Gain, I think that's going to land like in the middle area. I'm going to go like a, like a 64. Four. I'm gonna say, um, oh man, I'll say 62 on that. The big wedding. The, this looks horrible to me, at least. The they couldn't even come. The big wedding. They couldn't even come and up with course, a name for it. Of course, Robin Williams plays the the uh, whoever <laughs> the guy that's marrying them. Hey, who cares? Who cares? I'm gonna say. 12. Oh, it's your turn. I'm sorry. My apologies. No, that's fine. I'm going to say 40. 40. I'm going to stick with my 12. 12? Sticking with it. All right. And then finally, we have mud. Oh, about time. Still not going to come around my area. Nope. <laughs> um, Mud. Hearing great things. I know. Looks pretty great. I'm excited. I'm really excited. I'm really bummed out that we didn't get to see that at South by. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna say th- I was also I was also playing at Sarasota and I missed it there. Uh, I'm gonna say like a 88. Uh, I will say 86 on Mud. That'll do it for releases in theaters, DVD and Blu-ray. We have uh, Central Park Five, which actually aired on PBS this week. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I do want to see that. I, it looks good. Yeah, I've been hearing nothing but amazing things. Yeah, so probably want to check that out. Gangster Squad, uh, if you haven't seen this already, I'd just go ahead and skip that. I did I did like it. I mean, I'm standing by what I originally said, that, that I did enjoy the movie, but I will also agree that it is not a very good movie. Uh, a Haunted House, I think we can all agree that that's amazing. a brilliant brilliant piece of cinema <laughs> yes i think that is marlon wayne that is correct is, sir yeah unbelievable the impossible um i mm, that, mm. it's not it's not the kind of movie for me let's just put it that way but i think that a lot of people will like that movie it, it is kind of worth checking out just to see the crazy tsunami scene at the beginning mm-hmm uh, this this effects work on that is out of control. It's so good, so real looking. Uh, the, it's it is an extremely 
melodramatic movie. There's a lot of sappy, cheesy dialogue. Yeah. And there's a lot of like just ridiculous things that happen that you're just like, there's no way that, that that's what happened in real, <laughs> in real life. It can't be correct. I mean, it is based on a true story, but there's just no way that it played out like that. Um, so I I would say a light recommend on The Impossible. I mean, it if you have a nice home theater, it's probably cool to watch it on Blu-ray. And then we have Promised Land. Ooh. Starring Kevin Rakestraw. That's right. John Krasinski, Matt Damon. Um, I'm not going to bother with this no, one. No, this looks awful. This looks terrible. Is it a... Uh, is it uh, Gus Van Zandt? Yeah. Is that who directed this one? Yeah. yeah. Gus. Come on. Gus. And then uh, one of your favorites, Wuthering Heights. Wuthering. Wuthering Heights? That's a, that's a recommend, I guess. I don't know. I, I would, would, I would uh, never watch it again. No, I would never watch it again. But visually, again, it's a very... It's, a, it's visually pleasing. Yeah, it's beautiful film to look at. And Robbie Ryan, the cinematographer... Is amazing, and that reminds me when I watched the Angels Share when the, you know the credits are rolling up front, it says Robbie Ryan, cinematographer, and I get all excited. I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna be great. Ken Loach, Robbie Ryan, you, I don't understand why the hell they they hired Ryan to do the cinematography in that film because it's just bland as all hell. Mm. It's just it's like workman like. Put the camera here. They're gonna do their scene. We'll go to the next scene. And the next scene. It's just ridiculous. Fuck you, Angel. Well, Shit. That's, that's all I have as far as releases. Did you have anything to add? Uh, there's two Criterions, both of which I have no interest in whatsoever. But again, they're Criterions, so they're amazing. One's Shakespeare, Richard III, Lawrence Olivier. I would not recommend that just because it's Shakespeare. And the other one is Pierre. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Ite. Something like that. It's like a anthology, I guess. A couple films on there. I think it's, it's like an old old comedy type. You know, in the vein of like Chaplin. But the French version. So, I don't know anything about it though. Never seen okay. any of them. But again, they're, they're criterions. So they're good. Probably. Yeah. Well, I think that that wraps it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. And uh, want to hear your feedback, send us an email, feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter, at filmpulse.net, and be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for the return of Ryan Watches a Movie. Oh, Ryan's back. Full force. Oh, yeah. Wasn't there one... I'm trying to remember what it was, but wasn't there one for, like, Nintendo? Where, like, oh, if yeah. you had... like If you're if, yeah, if you stuck. Yeah, if you're stuck, you'd call in the hotline. And it would help. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs>